Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Halakha 101 class taught by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. We are going to shift gears to talk about Shabbat, to talk about the Hilchot Shabbat. And um, we're going to come back to koshering when we get closer to Passover, um, when we're really talking about like how to kosher our kitchens, etc. But so we're going to pause, go to Shabbat for a little while, come back to Kashrut, and then um, and then probably go back to Shabbat, because Shabbat is quite a long set of laws, as I'm sure you are, uh, as I'm sure you would assume. So I actually have in front of me what's called the Mishnah Barura, which is a, a much easier version of halakha to, to read from, both because of the simplicity of language. It's it's like 99%, maybe that's the wrong percentage, but I've never been very good at math, Hebrew. And so it's very, it's an easy language to be able to understand, but also it's very succinct in what the laws are. I'm not going to be showing the Mishnah Barura on the screen. Um, I'm going to be showing the Shulchan Aruch, but I just wanted you to know that that, that is the book that I'm, that I have in front of me just for, um, for simplicity's sake in terms of understanding and so that I can be reading the Hebrew and the English, uh, to you at the same time. So let's get to the text here. So this is Siman. Hold on, let me just share my screen. This is Siman two forty three. Um, there's actually one before two forty two, but it just isn't particularly. Uh, it is not particularly interesting or, or worth going over in, in much detail. So we're going to start with two forty three, and um, we aren't. It's not going to be. It's not going to start off right off the bat with what you might think, which is something like, uh, this is what you can do or this is what you can't do on Shabbat. You're going to, we're going to start off by talking about the do's and don'ts of just the general observances. Um, and specifically here around work. So many of you probably know that we categorize things on Shabbat by what are called melachot. And malachot are just different categories of work. Some people like to say that they're categories of work based on the building of the mikdash, the building of um, the the temple, the tabernacle, the the mishkan, all the different synonyms for the thing that was built. Um, some people like to say that it was based off of the way in which we actually do work in the world, right? So things that we write things that we build things that we erase right those are those are different malachot that you might come to come to know and there are 39 of them um hold on one second i'm just adding people in okay there are 39 of them and we're not going to go through them right now we're not going to list through all of them but you should just know that a lot of the things that you know not to do are under different categories. So, for example, not turning lights on is not its own category, but it's under a category. So there is a general category, and then there is kind of subcategories to each one. Similar to, if you think about just the commandment of keeping Shabbat, right? The, the idea of keeping Shabbat does not have all these laws listed underneath it. We come to know the laws based on the rabbi's putting stipulations around our actions such that we don't break Shabbat, whatever that, whatever that means. So 
you won't find, don't turn on your TV on Shabbat as a malacha. Um, you will find a general category of of kindling, of, of using, of using fire or creating fire. And that is something that you cannot do. So turning on your TV, turning on lights, cooking, which is a different category on its, of its own, but just the idea of turning on a stove, right? All of those are types of kindling. So you wouldn't do that. So I'm not going to go into any more details, but just so you know, we're going to be talking right now, not about the different malachot, but just the different things that um, are considered not doable by Jews on Shabbat, but potentially can be done in other ways um, through collaboration with non-Jewish community members. So this is the first one. I'm going to try to go back and forth between the Hebrew and the English. So you're only looking at the the English right now. So let me just move my screen a little bit so that I can make this so I can see both. Okay. Okay. So this first part is saying, Lo yaskir adam merachat shalo le'eno yehudi. So a person shouldn't rent out their, the place where they wash. So it's calling it a bathhouse here to a non-Jew. So because we think that it is theirs, right? We, we think that it is his. And this non-Jew is going to work on Shabbat, is going to do things that you're not supposed to do in that bathhouse on Shabbat. Um, so the, the average bathhouse, I actually don't think that it says average here, but uh, just the stem, like a simple bathhouse, um, isn't rented out according to a certain percentage, right? Meaning that if you were going to rent it out, you rent out the whole thing. It's not based on, oh, I'm going to get a certain amount of the profit if I rent this out to you. I'm going to read this next part just in English because it's just not particularly uh, interesting in the Hebrew. People will say all the profits go to the Jew and the wages go to the non-Jew. And as a result, the non-Jew is doing work as an agent of the Jew. So what we're, what we're figuring out here is that all of the profits, if you're renting out a space, go to the person who is Jewish and the wages, right, go to, go to the non-Jew. But therefore, the non-Jew is doing the work for the Jew. So we talked about this a little bit last time. I forget how it came up, but in terms of, you know, Orlando making coffee for us on Shabbat, that's, that's a similar category where Orlando is receiving a salary from Temple Betham. And therefore, he can make for us coffee on Shabbat, even though, um, Norm just said there are several songs about the 39 Malachot that can easily be found online. Awesome. Um, even though the, the benefit perhaps is coming, is coming to us, right? We are able to drink the coffee, even though, uh, Orlando is the one who is making it. We hope that he's also drinking it. But to rent out a field is allowed. This is actually really interesting. Um, because of course we have a field. Uh, and so would this be something that we could rent out to, uh, to non-Jews to use on Shabbat? Um, since it's common to rent out a field according to the percentage, even though people know it's the Jews field, right? So even if you had a very large field and you were going to say you can use only, 
this half of it, right? That might be more common than a bathhouse where you'd say you can only use this corner of the bathhouse, but they still know that it belongs to the Jewish person. Uh, they will say the non-Jew is working according to a percentage, so he's working for his own sake, right? That if this, hold on. My screen keeps jumping around, so I keep thinking that someone's joining, but it's just my eyes. Um, so the non-Jew is working according to that percentage of the field that he or she owns, right? It's not the the whole field, but the the person is therefore working for their own sake because it's their portion of the field. An oven is treated like a bathhouse, right? The ovens back in the day when they weren't something that was plugged into your wall, right? There were things that you could take from someone else's home and rent, um, or maybe not rent, but borrow, uh, but you would put down some kind of lien so that they could, they could know that they were going to receive it back. Um, this is a complete tangent, but just so that you know that you can like, you know, take take uh ovens i was watching come from away does anybody know that musical okay i was watching it last night and one of the things that happens in the musical is that the one of the people goes uh it's a musical all about 9-11 and how a plane um of people though this happened to many this is it's just about one plane of, of people landed in um gander and they are now in this city that they don't know anything about and it's a very beautiful story etc cetera, etc cetera. anyway one of the one of the guys goes and gets grills from everybody's houses and it's this really silly song about how he is going and getting all these grills from deep, different people's homes and he's afraid he's going to get shot because you don't do that in America. You don't go to different people's backyards and steal their grills. But here, what, what they're talking about in the Shulchan Aruch and similar to the, to that scene in Come From Away is that they were, they were just taking it to borrow. They weren't taking it to, to steal or to have forever, but you're still using it as a port, right, as a portion, right? It's yours for the time that you have it. But what the Shulchan Aruch is saying is it's like the bathhouse, um, not like the field because you use all of it. You don't use a portion of it. A millstone is treated like a field in this case. So I know nothing about millstones, um, but I guess it's like a field and that you can use some of it and not the whole thing. Sure. So the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Iserlis, the Ashkenazi opinion says, even if a non-Jew receives only a third or a fourth of the profits and the Jew receives a benefit from the non-Jew's work on Shabbat, it's permissible to set up this arrangement since the non-Jew is working for his own sake. So even if you receive benefit from having a non-Jew working for you, with you on Shabbat, um, it's okay because the non-Jew is working for themselves. You're just benefiting from the work that they're doing. So this is the classic coffee example because they are um, making the coffee ostensibly for themselves and then we also get to drink it. Any questions about this so far? It's kind of setting a stage. It's not so much like detail yet, but everybody so far, you're with me better than Toivaline so far. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, okay. So let me, let me just get to the Hebrew here. Okay. So Afilu, Afilu Merachet Otanor. So even for a bathhouse or for an oven, im, Shana Parsem Hadavar Al Yade Kach. 
So if you rent it out um, year after year, so year and then the following year, and you you tell people about this, the matter is here, it says publicize that your workers aren't receiving any wages, but they're, but they're rented, right? The, the, it's not, it's not similar to like a, well, Salary isn't a good example. It's, um, well, okay, we'll keep going. Similarly, if the custom of the place is that most people rent or stipulate that the profits go according to percentages, then it's permissible to rent it out to a non-Jew or to have profits go according to percentages. Okay, so these things, the bathhouse or the oven, even if you know at a certain time throughout the year, you're going to do this over, like, you're going to always do this on, I don't know, February 1st, that if the if the public knows that those who are doing the work are not going to get anything for it, are not going to get wages, that that you can rent it out, but you need to make sure that they're getting their profit, basically, is what it's saying. So if it's according to percentages, you need to make sure they're also getting profits according to their percentages. This is a... It's not really how we engage. I can't at least think of a modern day example for this because the way in which we deal with property is very different. Um, And if you're like renting a home, it's not it's not the same as renting, you know, a piece of furniture. Um, So it's it's different here. But I think that I think the Rama is going to make it a little bit more clear. So even in a place where it is forbidden, if the Jew is hired to work the bathhouse or oven by a non-Jew, then he rents it out to a non-Jew. And it's permissible since the property isn't recognized to be owned by the Jew. So if a non-Jew is actually doing the work, then it's it's fine because now that is that's their job. Right. They are not the Jew is not the the Jewish person has nothing to do with the work that's being done. It is the non-Jew. Similarly, if there is a bathhouse in living quarters and only those that live there use the bathhouse and they know that they hired a non-Jew, then it is permissible. If one, hold on, give me one second. Okay. If one transgressed and rented it out in a situation that's forbidden, some authorities say the rent money is permissible. Others say that it's forbidden. So I, again, because we don't really have bathhouses, it's hard for me to know like what a good example of this would be. But if it was during a time that you weren't supposed to do it, now you know that there are some people who say fine and some, some others who say that it is not fine. Again, we're, we're talking specifically about work on Shabbat. And therefore, if you have something that needs to be worked or, or used, um, this is why, this is what they're, they're referring to here. Um, Oh, okay. Norm said, I didn't know this. Many restaurants and I assume other businesses pay percentage rent. Great. Okay. So um, there are other reasons for which Jewish owners would not have uh, a restaurant open on Shabbat, but that's a good example of, of a case in which there is percentage rent. Um, okay. Yeah. Renee, go ahead. I'm just thinking of back in Europe, like where my mother in my mother's village, you know, they would all go, to the to the town bakery and put their cholent pots in the oven of the baker. Mm-hmm. If that, but the bakery, I, I presumably was owned by a Jew, so that Jew was is permit would have been permitted or forbidden to take um, money for that. 
use of the oven during that Shabbat? Um, it's a really good question. It I would, don't know. I mean, I haven't asked my mother that specifically. I probably could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, Norm had a very quick hand go up, so maybe he has a response. Yes. Um, they would generally pay a fee, uh, whether it was a certain number of kopecks or ruble or whatever it was, um, on Friday before they, you know, when they brought the chulant, they would pay the baker on Friday before Shabbos, and all the chulants would sit in the oven together, right. and then they'd pick them up after shul, but they didn't deal with any money on, on Shabbos. That makes sense. And the fee was presumably fixed. Great. Thank you. I knew nothing about that. That makes sense. Uh, he probably did very well since the whole far was uh, putting their jones in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to make a business. And yeah, in, some, in some shtetloch, it wasn't a per Shabbos fee. You paid, I'm going to use the word license, that isn't right, but uh, um, a fee for a certain amount of time, whether you used it or not. So that made it even less of a problem for Shabbos. That's one. And the other is, if people are interested in detail about that, um, Barbara Kirschenblatt-Gimblet wrote a book with her father, um, and he was an artist. It's a huge book, and it's all about his life in his Polish settle growing up. And he has a lot about all the different, all the different um, people and what they did for a living. And he's got all this artistic descriptions. And my recollection is there was a lot about the baker, both, I think, not just Colin, but also the um, Chala. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, this is the halacha is something I can explain, but I definitely don't know the examples well enough. So I appreciate all of you knowing those examples much better than, much better than I do. Um, okay. So here's, this is actually going to speak a little bit to, um, the, the setting of a price piece. Let's look at this next piece here. So again, this is going to be talking now about this fixed price, right? Because you don't want to be using money on Shabbat. You don't want to be um, having any kind of uh, payment or receiving of payment on Shabbat. So this this is, um, people always ask, it's like one of the funnier questions that people like to ask, like, how can rabbis work on Shabbat? Uh, great question. I don't get paid on Shabbat. I just get paid and happen to work on Shabbat. Um, but this is going to talk a little bit about the setting of, of a price for that kind of work. So a person agrees with a non-Jew about work to be done and sets a price. And the non-Jew does the work by himself. Even if he works on Shabbat, it is permissible. So set price, whether that's a salary or that's, you know, you're coming in and doing a job for X amount of dollars and that those, you know, X amount of dollars are for the work that you're going to be doing. That's okay because you are paying the person for the work that they're going to, they're going to do. However, the payment is not going to be done on Shabbat, but it's going to be done for, given for the work that is done on Shabbat. This law is discussed when the work is done in private, since most people won't recognize that this work is being done on Shabbat for the Jew. But if it was well known and publicized, then it is prohibited because when others look at the non-Jew work, they don't know that the Jew and the non-Jew set a price and they will say that the Jew is hiring the non-Jew to do work for him on Shabbat. So this is all a very convoluted way of basically saying, if people know that it's happening, it should be made clear 
that the non-Jew is either salaried and works all the time and Shabbat happens to be one of the days or to make sure that it's something that there's no issue of marred ayin, right? There's no issue that a person would see the non-Jew doing some kind of work and think, oh, they're getting paid. So a very classic example is a babysitter, right? If you have a live-in nanny and that person comes on Saturdays so that it doesn't have to be live-in. I don't know why I said that. Full-time is what I meant. Full-time nanny. And that person comes in specifically on Saturdays so that the family can go to shul, the person is going to get paid for their time with the kids. Now, if you tell everybody about that in your community, is that public? That's for you to decide. But if it's something that you are doing and you know that there's a set price that you're not going to give them that money on Shabbat, that it's what we would call something that's kavua, right? It's it's happening over and over again. Then it would be seen as um as as okay as permitted because you are you you know that the work is being done without having to create any kind of um organization or list or um, stipulation for what that work is specifically on Shabbat because it's happening, whether it's other days or just every Shabbat, and it's happening all the time. It might be different to have a person come and clean your home on Shabbat um, because that's very specific. And, you know, that it's it's possible that that would be seen as more public. I, I don't I would I think it could be argued probably multiple ways. But something that was happening all the time on Shabbat, especially if it's happening other days of the week, is probably okay. Um, Therefore, one who establishes work with a non-Jew to build a house, a courtyard or a wall, right? So construction happening on your home on Shabbat when it's happening, uh, when you're doing a renovation or something like that or to harvest his field. If the work is in the same state and in the tchum, in the, um, I say tchum in English, like the, the boundary, uh, it is forbidden to allow the non-Jew to work on Shabbat because those who see him will not know a price has been set. So when we say kiddish, we say that everybody in our domain, right, should be able to also rest on Shabbat, including animals. So when we hire somebody to do some kind of work, we are going against that part of what Shabbat is. So it's forbidden to allow a person to do work specifically on Shabbat if other people don't know that this is a continuous effort um, and that maybe you're then paying them on Shabbat and that would be a malacha, that would be an isor um, on uh, for Shabbat. And so you wouldn't want it to be done. If, yeah, Karen, go ahead. Say that again. If they know, if they don't know, it's bad. If people do know, it's okay. Yeah. So it's similar to like when someone who wears a kippah all the time goes into a restaurant that's not kosher, even if they're going to eat vegetarian, they, they, they might take it off. Some people keep it on, but they might take it off because they recognize that that they're not in an all vegetarian restaurant. And so someone might think that they're eating trace. I was just at a restaurant recently that was completely vegetarian with someone who wears a kippah all the time. 
And they decided to keep the keepa on because they're in an all vegetarian. I actually didn't ask them, but I would assume that they were in an all vegetarian restaurant. And so it's different than if you go into a restaurant where you could be eating something that you shouldn't, that you shouldn't be eating. So it's the same idea as here, which is if you don't know, you might be seen as doing something you're not supposed to be doing. And so you shouldn't do it at all. Karen is extremely satisfied with that answer. Yeah. If I have if I have somebody cleaning my house every Saturday. Yeah. But I let everybody know. It's okay. Well, so this that kind of thing gets into like the spirit of Shabbat, right? Whether or not that's really what you should be doing on Shabbat. Is it okay technically? Maybe kind of depends on what the arrangements are. Is it okay given the spirit of Shabbat? Probably not. Um, it's probably not a great idea to have a gardener or. Wait, wait, wait. you froze. So I did. Yeah, you froze, but now you're okay. Oh. Wait a second. What happens with somebody who helped somebody Jewish? Yeah. On Friday night. Yeah. Clean up after the meal, serve the meal. What about that? What do you mean? What happens? I mean, is that okay? So again, I think it, it depends on the arrangements, right? If the arrangement is such that it is very clear that this is a person who is doing this, whether it's other days of the week or is doing this and Shabbat just happens to also be a time where it's being done, that is better than if they are only coming in on Shabbat to help you with your dishes, which you're not supposed to be doing. So there's there's definitely arrangements to be made that would make it okay, but it's it's not preferred, I would say. Yeah, Renee. And based on what you're saying, then why wouldn't it be acceptable for, let's say, if you're doing, like you said, renovations on a home and somebody is working on it and they presumably you pay them, you don't pay them by the day, but you pay them for the project or whatever. And they working they work continuously. Right. They work for six days of the week. So they're not working Dafka on Shabbat, but they're continuing to work. So they get finished with their job or whatever. So how is that? Is that not okay then? So there's two reasons that it's not okay. Number one, it's not okay um, because we know that if a person is living in our home or in our in our tomb, right, in our midst, in our boundaries, we're supposed to give them Shabbat just like we take Shabbat. Now, on in 2022, that's obviously not how most people are understanding Shabbat. Not everybody in the Pico Robertson area celebrates Shabbat and is given time off from their jobs because there are other Jews around them taking Shabbat off. So could it be, could it be seen as okay in modern day? Maybe. Um, But I think that the general reason, and this is what I was saying to Karen, the general reason that I would, I would prefer not to do it for my own home would be because of the spirit of Shabbat. Like what does that do to the way in which you feel about Shabbat? If there's somebody either, cleaning in your home or working on a wall that you're, you know, you're building in your backyard or, you know, what, whatever it is. Um, but that's just not really in the spirit of the day in terms of keeping it to a certain kind of ambiance isn't the right word, but atmosphere and an experience. Um, 
Okay, so then the Ramah says, and even if the Jew lives among non-Jews, so just like us today, right? Anywhere in the diaspora, really anywhere now, anywhere in the world, um, there is still what to be concerned regarding guests or members of his own household who will suspect him. So even if you, even if you live in a place that's so, um, um, assimilated that you, wouldn't have people come into your home who even understand Shabbat in the off chance that you do have people come into your home who are there to celebrate Shabbat. You want to make sure that you're not, you're not confusing them with any aspect of how to keep, how to keep Shabbat as a holy day. Um, and if the work was outside the tomb, so outside this boundary of where you of where you live, and also no other city is within the tomb where work is being done, then it is permissible. And the non-Jews that enter, oh, and the non-Jews that enter sheep belonging to Jews. It's like how did sheep get here? Um, but who are shepherding uh, sheep for Jews to pen of his field. So. This is, this is like very much out, outside of the realms of our lives because we're, none of us are shepherds. Um, though maybe somebody is listening to this podcast who is a shepherd and they should email me and tell me what it's like. Um, but this is not something that we are necessarily dealing with. However, it could be that you are taking care of, of someone else's, I don't know, uh, dog. Yeah, but it doesn't really work in the same way. But anyway, so you wouldn't want to go outside of the boundary of your space, right? We talk about Eruv a lot. This is not the same thing, but Shabbat is within a boundary. And so that boundary space, if you are going to uh, kind of exit it, right, for this for this experience of, in this case, sheep, um then then it's permissible because it's outside of that boundary and and there's no kind of stipulation in the boundary that you are living in. I'm going to just leave that one aside because it really has nothing to do with what we're talking with what we live with. Um it has everything to do with what we're talking about but not not for our own not for our own law. I mean, yeah, not for our own lives is what I meant, but own law too. To cut stones or to fix roofs even in the house of the non-Jew is forbidden since the work is for the need of something connected to the ground. So this is becoming very specific now of what kind of work. So you can't, you know, create the stones for the home. You can't fix the roof of the home um, because it's for something connected to the ground is now connecting us back to this idea of the tchum, right? The, the boundary of Shabbat. But really it's just because, it's a part of work that you wouldn't want to be doing on Shabbat. And if someone did so, you should not sink the house, right? If they did it, you don't have to demolish the house. They made a mistake. It's not the end of the world. You shouldn't try to do it, but you also shouldn't destroy it if there is no, um, if, if you made the mistake of, of doing it, uh, on Shabbat. Some say that if the Jews ownership isn't publicized, then it is permissible. So, if you don't yet own the home or don't yet know who owns the home um, and or other people, I guess, in this case, don't know who owns the home or that you own the home, then it's OK. That to me feels a little bit sneaky. But in terms of like how you would how you would do renovations on a house. Right. Oh, I'm just not going to tell anybody that I own that home and so that I can get it done on Shabbat. 
But I guess what it's getting back to is this Mar Ayan situation of you don't want people to think that you are hiring someone on Shabbat to do something for your home. So if no one knows that that's your home and work is being done on it, okay. Right. I love Karen has a lot of issue with this. Karen and I have already had a discussion today. So Karen, Karen has a lot of issue with this. Yes. Go ahead. Like toiling. No. Um, uh, it seems like sneaky. Yeah. If you don't tell, you're cool. Right. Well, what about that? I mean, who's really the judge of our lives? Not the neighbor. Right. But- so this is a little, I don't know, it's hard for me. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you really, if we think about the different things that we do in Judaism in terms of law to, to make ourselves either comfortable or allowed in quotes to do things that we probably shouldn't be doing, we're being sneaky all the time, right? Like, the way in which we created an Eru so that we can move things around, very sneaky. It's a, it's a wire, right? Like this is not, this is not science that we had to figure out how to, how to get around this law. So, so that's the same kind of thing that's happening here. But I think this even more so, it's not so much about the law. It's much more about how other people would then practice Shabbat based on what you are doing. So again, like this person who I was with who wears a kippah, I don't think had I said, you should probably take that kippah off. They would have said back to me, uh, no, right? Like if I was uncomfortable with them wearing a kippa, I don't think that they would have taken it off. But if I had said, I don't think you should wear the kippa because we're in a place where you might be ordering trafe, which wasn't the case, then they might say, oh yeah, you're right. Because I know that if, if someone knows me and sees me at this restaurant, then that could that could make them assume that given my status in the world of clergy that I you know that I'm not that I shouldn't be eating here or I am allowed to eat here I'll re- I remember um and I don't think I'm outing him on this but anyway um I remember the first time I ever went to eat at Earth Cafe with Rabbi Klingfeld and I don't cover my, I happen to have a headband on right now, but I don't cover my hair. And, um, and I remember he didn't take his kippa off. And I was very surprised because at Earth Cafe, you could order 8 million things and, you know, it wouldn't be, it, it wouldn't be kosher. And he, I don't remember if I asked him in that moment or later, but what, what he said to me, I thought was very, very smart. And he said, I'm eating at Earth Cafe in Beverly Hills. Right. If I see anybody I know, they know my kosh route. If I was eating at Earth Cafe in Laguna Beach, I might not. Right. Someone might know me as Rabbi Adam Klickfeld and not necessarily know me so well that eating in the Earth Cafe in Laguna Beach would would be would be a good um, reason to wear the kippa on my head. So it really has to do with outside perception and how other people might act or understand or come to practice based on what you're showing them into the world. That was a very long answer, um, but to your question. Bob asked, uh, if I have a roof that is leaking in a heavy rain, should I not somehow stop the leak? Or if I detect a gas leak, I should not turn off the gas at the meter. Gas, 100%, you turn it off because that's a health risk. In terms of the leak, 
if the leak is is ruining your Shabbat or your life, then yeah, you definitely fix it. If it's just a nuisance, you might want to just find a pot and not fix it, right? It, it really just depends on your level of discomfort and the type of life that you are, um, whether, whether your life is threatened or not, right? The type of life that you're living in that moment and whether or not it's in danger. So that is, that's the answer to that. It's really kind of just a depends type situation. Um, I'll give you an, an example of something that, that I, that I did in, in my past. Um, I don't remember what year of rabbinical school I was in, but there was some kind of, I, I, my phone is always on on Shabbat. I do not use it, but it's always on for emergencies. Um, so there are times because we all know how an iPhone works. So like if you look at it or if you jiggle the table, um, the, you know, you'll see the screen without even, even touching it. That's why it's Muxa, by the way, because it, it then becomes something that now you're using even without, uh, using it. But anyway, and I saw an alert for a place that I knew my grandparents were going and I became very nervous. And though I didn't use my phone, I called them on Shabbat. Again, I don't remember when this was. It might I felt very bad about it. So it was probably in the beginning of medical school. But I called my grandparents and I said, you shouldn't go because I forget what the warning was, but whatever, it might not be safe. That's similar to the gas leak or the, or the leaky roof, right? Would they have been fine without me doing that? Probably, but I felt like they could be at risk. So I took that extra step, that extra non-Shabbat step to make sure they were okay. Um, so it's just really all about, you know, the, the life that you are living in, whether or not you need to do something to save someone else. Uh, Gary, you've had your hand up for a while. A man wasn't up with. I, my hand is, you know, so my, that electronic thing could be up for 10 minutes, makes no difference. Uh, quick question. Um, it's like, it sounds like it's most Batuach Nechbush type of deals. Yes. So, and it's Batuach Nechbush economics, because if you have a leak, as I have had in my house, and um, leaks uh, do marvelous things to the walls and everything else. So yeah. that could be, and that little nuisance could be $30,000 worth of damage. Yeah. Over, so it's the question is, you know, it's, it's almost like another Patuach Nechvich, but there's, that's, that's a major cost. And, uh, yeah, For it's, sure. it's, that line, I just, is that's that question of where that line is, is an individual thing. It's a, you're right. If we have leaks, which, you know, a little pail is going to fix it, you know, it's going to be fine. But you have other type of damage to, and, you know, and with your, with the Kipa stuff, I mean, with, with Rabbi Clickfield, he could have been anywhere, he could have been, but he doesn't know. He knows it's a vegetarian restaurant now, but he doesn't know if the dishes are are kosher and everything else. They could switch dishes. You know, there's always these little issues involved when you totally, totally. So the the league is definitely pikuach nefesh. Definitely for sure. The the kipa is less so pikuach nefesh and more so just understanding a person's um, view of you in a situation. Right? It's why. If you are an unknown entity in a city, right, you can get away with much more than if you are someone who, if you're, you know, you are in your own city and you go into a restaurant, there might be more questions. Um, so that's, it's just a, it's just a thing in terms of perception that's, that's important for that one. But again, it's the same thing if you're, depending on your level of, 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 yeah. of no, if you're a reform, you can wear your, you won't wear a kippah, you wear a kippah and you don't have that 
understanding of that, that maybe yeah. you shouldn't be eating at McDonald's with a coupon. Right, right, right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's true. Um, okay. So let's just let, well, let's see how long this next one is. We might be able to do, oh yeah, we can do a few more. So if a non-Jew builds a house on Shabbat for a Jew in a forbidden manner, it is proper to be stringent by not entering it. So again, it's unclear to me because A, I'm not living during these times and B, I'm not a builder. I don't know what the forbidden manner would be. Perhaps it's just that it was, it was done on, at a, on Shabbat without the Jew knowing that they were going to be working on Shabbat. And therefore that feels like a infringement of their, of their belief. That's possible. Um, it's definitely a way in which it makes it forbidden. But if a non-Jew continues to build, right, or builds this house on Shabbat, then it's okay for the Jewish person to say, I'm not going to live in that house. I don't believe that would happen today because houses don't get built in one day. Um, but I, they, what the law is saying is that a Jewish person would have a right to say, I didn't want my house to be built, built on Shabbat. So now that you've done that, I'm not going to live in that in that home. But what Rabbi Moshe Israelis says is if the Jew stipulated with the non-Jew to not do work for him on Shabbat and the non-Jew did it against his will to finish the work faster, you have nothing to be concerned about. So if from the outset, the Jewish person said, I really don't want you to work on Shabbat, but then after the fact found out that the non-Jewish person had done work on Shabbat to get the house done then the Jewish person just says, "Ugh, but didn't I tell you not to do that? And it's okay. So it's still kind of getting around um, the law a little bit, because if you are very clear, then you could get in trouble. And if you are not very clear, you might not want to end up living in that house because they might end up building on a day that you don't want it. So it, I would say in today's day, people who are doing construction, if they're very from people who are doing construction, ask for the building to not be happening on Shabbat. And then if it happens on Shabbat, they don't know about it because they're not on on site. Uh, that would be my guess. I don't know that from personal experience, but that would be my guess. I know that when we had construction going on on our campus, we did not have it happen on Shabbat, but had had it happen all other days of the week. That was also because we were on campus and didn't want the noise. So it was easy for us to know if it was happening or not. Uh, Jeff. What if you're the neighbor and you're Jewish and you see that the house is being built on Shabbat and that's not something that you would do if it's your house? Yeah. Should you refrain from going in? Or is it more important to maintain relations with your neighbors and you sort of get over it? Yeah, it's a really beautiful question that has many layers to it. I think the latter. I think you, knowing that it is not your home and therefore not your property, you should still feel free, comfortable, whatever word you want to use to go into that home, even though you knew that it was built on Shabbat. That being said, it's very different when food is prepared on Shabbat at, at someone's home. And you, if you ask enough questions, you find out that it's been cooked on Shabbat. 
then you're actually supposed to not eat it. So if you don't know, right, like my my parents, my mom very often is cooking Shabbat dinner after Shabbat has started. I very rarely ask questions because if I ask questions that I'm in a weird position of deciding whether or not I'm going to eat that thing. But it's, I think it's different for the actual property that isn't yours and, and would be someone else's. You could totally go into that home um, and, you know, and have a good time visiting your neighbors. And it would be shaming if you said anything. Right. True. Though, unfortunately, we don't always as Jews have a problem with that. But yes, you're right. You're right that it would be it would be. No, but I mean, we're supposed to not shame anybody. We're embarrassed. Though. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Jeff, did you have a follow up? So based based on what you said. Yeah. The extension could be what if your parents don't keep kosher? Yeah. And you do and they invite you over for dinner and. You know, you have the sense that, you know, they cooked the vegetarian lasagna in a pan that they use to cook steak in the afternoon. Is it more important to honor your parents and accept and eat it or insult your parents and say you, you, you know, did something that's against my beliefs? Yeah. So I can't eat with you. Yeah. So I'll give you my answer and then I'll give you the answer that, that friends of mine would give who are, who are in the more modern Orthodox movement, uh, than I am in the conservative movement. So my answer would always be you should trust your parents to know what will make you comfortable and you should honor them by not asking questions, not um, shaming them into giving you the directions that they use to make certain things or ask them where that casserole dish has been before, and you should just eat it. There, There are those that would say, and there's some truth to this, that before you even get to that step, to have a conversation with your family and let them know what you would be comfortable with or not comfortable with. And, and then there's education behind it such that you don't have to ask those questions day in and day out or whenever you're on vacation to visit them. You can assume that those, those things are being followed. And the, I, I wouldn't call it shaming, but the education happened beforehand so that they knew how to prepare it later on. Um, I'll give a really, a really good example. Um, a family member, I won't say who since you all know many of my family members, um, but a family member of mine came to my parents' house uh, just maybe it was even over Thanksgiving, whatever, it was a while ago, and didn't realize that the meal that we were having was, I think, dairy. Um, and so they decide, oh no, no, sorry, was, was flesh, was, was meat. And so they used a dairy fork and knife and, you know, it's stainless steel or sterling. I guess I doubt it's silver, but it's, you know, it's, it's stuff that can be, can be koshered. And I went up to my mom, the person continued to use the utensils throughout the whole meal and I went up to my mom afterwards and I said, just leave those aside. I'll kosher them later. 
There was no point in me saying to that person, hey, by the way, you're using the wrong utensils for the dish that we just gave you. They're they're using them. We're going to kosher them later. It's going to be fine. That's obviously different than putting the food in your body, but I think it's the same mentality around you don't want to look for people who are doing mistakes. You want to assume they're doing the best they they, they can to keep you comfortable. So either you, you assume that without the education piece or you try to teach them beforehand what it is that would make you the most comfortable and then you go with it when you're over at their home. That's what I would say. I'm sure there are people who would be much more lenient and people who would be much more stringent than I, but that's that's how I would hold. Um, and I would hold that way, by the way, in any of your homes, right? When people say to me, I don't keep kosher in my home, I say, okay, so, you know, if it makes you more comfortable, serve to me on glass or serve to me on paper. Or don't serve me at all, right? Give me a cup of tea. I, I'm not uncomfortable by it. I know you're not going to give me a pork chop. So whatever you're going to do is going to be like me going to a vegetarian restaurant or, or a restaurant and ordering vegetarian. So I don't, I don't get all bent out of shape about that anywhere because I always assume that people are trying to do the best they possibly can do if they're knowledgeable of it. Um, to make me feel like I'm, I'm still keeping my own laws of classroom. Um, okay, let's do the one last Seif here, one last piece of halacha, and then I will let you all go. Public work, even to movable objects, such as a boat that is known to be a Jews, is treated with the laws of work to objects connected to the ground. So what this is saying is that it doesn't just have to be something that is in the tomb, right, in the boundary of Shabbat. It can also be something that's movable. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure what other example to give on this one, except for, you know, if you have a boat, um, this refers to the boat and the things on the boat, as well as the things on land. I lied. Let's do one more because we have time. That was a short one. If he hired a non-Jew for a year or two to write for him or sew him clothes, the non-Jew can write and sew on Shabbat, right? So this is our facilities team at Temple Betham, right? These are people who are hired to do work day in and day out. So they're also allowed to do that work on Shabbat, right? We're not asking them to, to build structures on Shabbat, but they are allowed to do things like make coffee or because they're not Jewish, they're allowed to write, right? They're, they are allowed to do things on Shabbat that we would not that we would not have a Jewish person do. It is as if he arranged with him that he will write him a book or that he will sew him clothes anytime he desires. And that day by day was not a consideration. So my grandparents for a very long time have had someone who's a, who's a live in, you know, um, house helper, maid, housekeeper. I don't, I don't, she's like part of the family, but you know, that those are the things that she's doing around the home. And I gave my grandmother the other day a shirt that had a button missing, and I have no idea what day that button was sewn on there, right? But it's possible that it was done on Shabbat, but I gave it to to this woman to so that she could help me with this thing that I wasn't able to do by myself, and it's possible she did it on Shabbat, but that's totally fine because I just asked her to do a thing that she would do on any day. He should not do the work in the Jew's house, right? So this takes it a little bit further into say, well, if they're going to be doing that work or making that coffee, they shouldn't do it in the home. If it's only for them, they should do it elsewhere. 
it, here we're talking about homes that were so much smaller than what we're dealing with right now. So, you know, they were in like two, two room huts, right? We're not talking about like a home where these people had their own rooms or had their own stations, et cetera. So I, the way that I would read this is don't do it in the same place as a person who's observing Shabbat, right? If you have roommates, it's the same kind of thing. Don't do it in the room where a person is observing Shabbat, but you can do it in the vicinity of them and for them elsewhere. Some forbid hiring a non-Jew for a period of time for exactly this reason, right? They don't, they don't allow you to, to hire someone who might do this kind of work for a long period of time. Obviously, this is not a 2022 situation, um, but you would just hire someone for like Monday or Sunday through Thursday as opposed to um, all days of the week. This was said specifically regarding when a person was hired to work for a specific task, such as sewing clothes or writing a book. But when a person is hired for any work that he needs in that time frame, then anyone agrees that it is forbidden. So if a person, the Ramah is basically saying what I categorize as our facilities team is forbidden. Now, we don't go according to this, so don't worry. What we're doing is totally fine. But what, what basically is being said here is unless that person has a specific task, right? They are the author. They are the live stream person. They are the sewer, right? Unless they don't, unless they have a specific task that also might be done on Shabbat, but a specific task, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't use their work that they might do on Shabbat because they, it could have been done that this general work could have been done at another time. Um, everybody good on the, you get, you get the sense of where we're going here. Yeah. Sort of better than Toyfeline. Better than Toyfeline. Okay. Yeah. Jeff, go ahead. So I see that clearly there's a distinction if you're hiring someone who's not Jewish. Yeah. What if you were to employ someone who's Jewish but who does not observe anything. You know, he's, he's like right, right. maybe the, the wicked son or whatever. But, you know, so you're not making them violate Shabbat because they don't care and they have no interest in observing Shabbat. Yeah, so it actually kind of speaks to what Diane or Bob wrote in the chat to me privately, that, you know, you're we're not supposed to be we're not supposed to be violating Shabbat for anybody in our midst. So any Jew and anyone who, quote, works for us, um, which is what we say in Shabbos morning Kiddush, right? You, you're, you're a slave, you're a female slave, you're animal, you're a stranger. Um, you shouldn't be letting any of these categories of people do any kind of work. And that extends to all Jews, right? Even if they don't want to be practicing or are not practicing, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't not be, right? That they, they should be still keeping Shabbat. And so we would not permit them to do something that, that they should be refraining from doing. Now we all get around that. Um, because there are many different categories of these kinds of people. When I stay at my parents' house, my parents don't keep Shabbat. So when I was living there and I was keeping Shabbat and my dad would make coffee in the morning, 
technically I should not drink that coffee because a Jew has made that coffee on Shabbat. But he made it because he's comfortable making it on Shabbat. So I would, of course, drink the coffee. That's not halachic. I shouldn't drink the coffee. But that's what, you know, when we say the term Shabbos Goy, we're not referring to people who just don't want to keep Shabbat. We're referring to people who don't have to keep Shabbat. And somebody who's Jewish is in the category, whether or not they do, of a person who's, quote, supposed to be keeping Shabbat. It's a great question and a very complicated one for those of us who like living amongst amongst those who don't keep Shabbat for the convenience of it all. Uh, Renee and then Tybal. But since he made that coffee for himself, he didn't make it dafka for you. Yeah. That's what it wasn't. It wasn't you asking him, dad, make me coffee, even though you know that he does it on Shabbat. You didn't ask him to make it for you. But it doesn't matter because he's Jewish. That was Jeff's question, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter because he's supposed to be keeping the laws of Shabbat, even if he's not now supposed to, I'm obviously using very crass language supposed to, I I don't really, it it doesn't bother me whether or not someone keeps Shabbat or not, but supposed to in the manner of mitzvot, like, right. But if he's not making it for you, he's making it for himself, but he's not supposed to be making it. So I I, I, no, I get that. I get that he's not supposed to be making it all. Yeah, but, oh, I but shouldn't the, benefit. But, but there's a difference, though. Isn't there also, though, a difference between you're asking him versus him totally. doing it, right? A hundred percent. Yes, yeah. that for sure is true. And I agree with Rachel that you should always have coffee on Shabbat. And really, most days I didn't have coffee today, and I'm it's it's a thing. Um, but the 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 way in which you get something on Shabbat, it is, quote, worse if you ask for it from someone who's not supposed to be doing it for you or for someone who will work and then give it to you versus somebody who just creates something, right? Like similar to my parents cooking on Shabbat and all of a sudden I'm eating the food, right? I didn't ask them to make it. Should I be eating it? Probably not. Is it better that I didn't ask them to make it for me? Definitely. So there are different... um, there are different levels of of um, str- stringency, I guess you would say, around around that kind of Shabbat keeping. Okay, Tybal, and then I'm going to let you all go. I have a substantive and then just uh, whatever. Yeah. But when you're in your parents' house, yeah. wouldn't kibud ava aim be counted as the higher level mitzvot than not drinking the coffee your father made for you, not eating the food your parents made to be part of a a family meal? I definitely think so. There are people who would disagree with me, but I definitely think so. Yes. I mean, I I have never said to my parents that I will not eat something or drink something that I know was prepared on Shabbat. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.